0: the 200-level 200 episode 225, The Greatest Row on Tour. Mike Carpenter here in the basement on Sunday evening, basking in the glow of another big road win for Brett Bielma's Alana football team, one that I don't think many of us, if any of us, would have expected. I did think that the spread at 14 and half was probably a bit rich, because I was not convinced that Minnesota was in fact the top 20 team that the AP ranking had them at, but nonetheless... That first quarter, and really, it was the first quarter, and what the first play of the second quarter, when he took the fourteen to nothing lead, I guaranteed victory. Essentially, I'm texting Trevor and Isaac as I am at this rest stop en route to Dave Matthews Band up in Grand Rapids, and I'll get to that in a bit. Um, the, the highlight of the day, suffice to say, was the Illinois football game, and not the concert, but that's a whole other story. And I text them as I'm at this rest stop and say, you know, Illinois is winning this game. And there was this weird calm I had listening to Brian Barnhart and Martin O'Donnell and hearing the defense time after time get stops in crucial situations and thinking, yeah, this is actually an advantageous matchup because you got the 14 to nothing lead. This is not what Minnesota is built to come back from. There are a lot of things we can talk about in this game, namely the defense, which was absolutely incredible yet again. And I know the Rutgers game was a step back for them. I thought they were fine, mediocre, let's say, against Rutgers, not bad, but they should have been better, uh, despite whatever the offense was doing. But this defense, all of a sudden, is a top half of the Big Ten defense, and right now playing like a top four Big Ten defense, which is absolutely bananas, when you consider what they did against two pretty good offenses in Penn State and Minnesota. And all of a sudden, the Wisconsin game, or the Virginia game, if we go even further back, those look like aberrations. And this is the new norm. Whatever Ryan Walters is doing here, and what I really like that he's doing, is he is aggressive. You know, the Lubby Smith defense, by comparison, was very vanilla, right? And they, when they got turnovers, could be an effective defense, but that was few and far between. For the most part, they kept everything so simple that opposing quarterbacks could really figure things out relatively quickly. Tanner Morgan is not a young quarterback, and yet he was confused for most of the game on Saturday. The way that they were disguising Sidney Brown, basically doing the Troy Palomalu thing. And I'm not just saying that because he has an amazing mane of hair. I mean, he really does, though. But he's turned out to be one hell of a safety. And he's playing so well down the stretch here. But when you consider the defensive line pressure, six sacks yesterday, six and a half on the season for Owen Carney and the other guys like Isaiah Gay, for example, having a a monster into his Alani career. And, you know, I, I think we can acknowledge. That the cupboard was not bare at certain position groups on defense. It was not. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to do this. But this is where the credit goes solely to Ryan Walters and Brett Bielema, by extension, because they are maximizing what they have on this side of the ball. And it's something that none of us could have predicted, especially after the Virginia game, and for that matter, after the Wisconsin game, when it felt like maybe what you did against Purdue and Maryland, those were merely a mirage, and that actually the defense was not all that different from the year before. But no they are. And talking about you know the new norm and what is the aberration, all of a sudden, the Rutgers game kind of looks like the aberration here. And to me, that's the most encouraging thing about what happened against Minnesota. What's the saying about progress? The long, slow arc of progress. And for a first-year coach in Brett Bielema to turn this culture around, maybe, if I'm trying to be optimistic about this here, Maybe there has to be these slip-ups. Even when there is genuine progress and you're so close to really turning the corner, there's going to be a game like Rutgers. Or there's going to be a game against Wisconsin that, despite how good they're playing, Illinois got absolutely manhandled in that game. And looked like they did basically back in, I don't know, 2018, 2017. But maybe in this long slow progress that it's going to take to get this program on solid footing you're going to have those slip-ups and now all of a sudden it looks like the new norm is what you did at Penn State and at Minnesota the truth is probably somewhere in between the truth is probably somewhere in between those two road wins and the Rutgers game at home and the offense is the big factor here which is kind of keeping you from being that much more excited going into that Iowa game, as we maybe should be. I mean, to be honest, I don't feel great about getting a win, and I don't even know about keeping in that game, just given the recent history against Iowa. But if the offense could figure something out beyond just two drives a game, maybe we're on to something, right? The good thing is one side of the ball seems to be figured out, and it's a side of the ball that we have not had good, consistent performances from really since Vic Koning in 2010 and 2011. And even then, they could lay the occasional egg. The second half of the 2011 season, they just lost gas. But in 2010, Minnesota came in here on a cloudy November day, and Vic Koning's defense wasn't able to corral them, or at Fresno State to end that year, or the 65 points he gave up at Michigan, triple overtime or not, that was not a great defensive performance. But this is fun to watch. The consistency with which this defense is doing this, not relying on turnovers. But instead, just sound playmaking the emergence of some stars, could we say? in a Sidney Brown, Owen Carney having a monster super senior year, among others. The fact that you're doing this without C.J. Hart and what we saw in that first game, without Jake Hansen, uh, Nate Hobbs leaving after last year to go to the pros, and he's killing it right now for the Raiders, and that Ryan Walters is doing this, I don't want to say with the motley crew of guys, but with the same crew of guys that I don't think any of us had high expectations for. And now I look forward to the defense and just think, come on offense, if you score 20 points, I really like our chances. I mean, consider this. If Illinois just would have gotten a field goal in the second half, one field goal, the game would have been over. There would have been no drama whatsoever late. And hey, credit to this defense. They kept it from getting too dramatic. The missed extra point didn't hurt. You know, that kind of eased the tension a little bit. And Blake Hayes did his part, too, pinning Minnesota inside their own five. Was it even at the one-yard line? But this is fun, and it's something that at least gives us a little bit of juice going into that Iowa game. Why not? Now, again, I'm going to temper my expectations. We know what tends to happen when you play Kirk Ferentz in Iowa, but I'm going to be watching, and I will not be shocked. If this is a close game and Illinois has a chance to win, if only you can start scoring more points and we will get to that in a bit. Look at us here on the 200 level. We are November 7th, two days away from Illinois basketball starting their season, a top 10 team, in the AP rankings, right? Are they top 10 and a team that I think is top five easy in the nation. I was actually able to lay money down when I was in Michigan on Illinois to win the big 10. I was able to lay that bet down, put 20 bucks on it. I'm that confident in it. I, 20 bucks. Wow. I know I'm a big spender, right? But I do think they will get it done. And yet here we are two days before the basketball opener talking Illinois football, a strange world. And don't worry, we will talk about basketball before we get out of here because that starts in just about 48 hours at the State Farm Center. Before I get too far into this, got to let you know the 200 level is brought to you by DP Dough online at dpdough.com. For all the best deals and prices. Dot com. Now, you can get custom zones with any toppings that you want or some of their favorites like the Maui Waui or the Buffer Zone. And best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That is dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Vintage-inspired Hawaiian apparel, just in time for basketball season to start. And maybe, you know, if Illinois wins the next two and they go to a bowl game and you need a shirt that you're going to wear in late December or early January... Listen, it could happen, but regardless, hey, Illinois football, we don't feel like we need to wear paper bags over our faces. Instead, we can rock Illini football apparel, and I do from 4th and Kirby, including Big Guy 1, Big Guy 2. These are great t-shirts. I have the first one at least, and I also have one of the more recent additions, the 1980s Illini helmet on a gray t-shirt. Can't recommend it enough. The guy's at 4 State Farm agent Brian Hanson online at BrianIsMyGuy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well. He made homeowners and auto super easy for Kara and I when we moved to this new place last year. We re-upped with him. Easy process. They take it all out of our hands, and they just give us great State Farm prices to boot. So go online to Brian is my guy. Dot com And finally, Rector Construction online at R-E-C-T-O-R construction.com for all your home exterior needs. These guys are expert craftsmen, great customer service. When you want a job done and you want it done on time, trust the guys at Rector Construction. And they're great citizens of this community. They give back to Champaign-Urbana, and they've done that since they got started. Can't sing the praises of these guys enough. That is Rector Construction dot com alana inquirer and the champagne showers podcast network partners with the 200 level as we are now on our 225th episode hard to believe and hey if you get a chance apple podcast we would love a rating and review helps us move up the charts for those that may not have discovered our podcast let's start football you know i already did a seven eight minute preamble about it and that's just how i'm feeling this is great You know, to be here and have relevant football games in mid-November in the first year of Brett Bielema's tenure, that is a net positive. Now, let's start with something that I think we all thought when Illinois beat Minnesota. When you get your fourth win of the season to go to four and six, it doesn't have quite the same pop as, let's say, getting your sixth win to go six and four. We all know what could have been, and I have been reconciling this myself. How can I explain a team that lost at home to Rutgers, the same Rutgers team that got absolutely shellacked at home by Wisconsin, 55-3, to I think was the final. Rutgers stinks. And you lost to them. And they looked better than you. I mean, it would have been kind of a fluke if Illinois would have found a way to win that game last week. That all said, I mentioned in the opening segment, and I think this just may be the case, this was not going to be a straight line of progress. There were going to be these blips along the way, and unfortunately, it just so happened that there's been enough to make it not impossible, but very difficult to find your way to a bowl game. Now, coming into this season, 5-7, and seven, I would have been happy with, and in fact, that was my prediction going into the season, 5-7, and seven. even after the Nebraska game. I still thought, I'm not going to really change my expectations yet. As fun as that was, let's see some more, but like everybody else, I was very high on this team after that win, and thinking if certain things bounce a certain way. They can get six wins or more. Well, then the very next week you lose to UTSA. Momentum gone, right? You beat Penn State on the road, the next week you lose to Rutgers. Momentum gone. And it's a shame that this doesn't have a bit more oomph to it. You know, if anything, the conversation between me and friends and our text threads or whatever, of course we were excited. You know, my friend Brad, who met me in Grand Rapids for the show yesterday, he was getting ready to park and I was already up in the room and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just watching Illinois bleed the clock to get the win at Minnesota. And he said, what? And he was like, yeah, you know, he was pumped. Now that's great and all, but even he said, one of the first things that he said when I met him up in the parking lot, as we did a little tailgate action before the Dave show was, you know, why couldn't they have just beaten Purdue or beaten Maryland or beaten Rutgers? So here's how I'm going to reconcile myself to this fact. This team is still flawed. We know that, especially the offense. Very flawed. You know, I mean, great running game, but they just cannot get out of their own way sometimes, and I still think the play calling is very suspect. But this is still a team that is not elite in terms of talent. This is still the first year of a new coach. There were bound to be bumps along the way, and it's unfortunate that, that all of a sudden they're really kind of coming to the forefront now as you are looking at an opportunity to get six wins if you win out. And it could happen. You know, I mean, it's not impossible, but it's not likely either when you consider your recent history against Iowa. And I don't care how bad Northwestern is, it's Northwestern. I'm dreading that game, not looking forward to it. I'll watch it with a sense of dread almost. But regardless. Um, this is how it's going to be, maybe. Maybe that's it. Maybe what I did not consider before the Nebraska game, or I should say after the Nebraska game, when I still kept those 5-7 and seven expectations, I thought that a 5-7 and seven record would be fairly vanilla, that you would beat the teams that you can and you wouldn't necessarily get an upset. Maybe you'd have a minor upset along the way, but it kind of felt like Nebraska, hey, you got a marquee win early, so I don't really need any more marquee wins. Just give me UTSA and Purdue and Rutgers and so on, right? Well, here we are, and with losses to the likes of UTSA and Purdue, Sands, David Bell, and Rutgers, instead you got road wins against top 10 Penn State and top 20 Minnesota, and another opportunity for a big road win against another top 25 team, even though Iowa did look fairly sluggish against Northwestern, they're going to be competing for a Big Ten title. This team is a few plays away, and don't laugh, a few plays away from competing for the Big Ten West title. Okay, good news, bad news. That's amazingly good news when you consider they weren't sniffing anything close to a Big Ten title in the Lovie Smith era. And clearly, there's something about Brett Bielema. He knows how to coach Big Ten football games. And there have been mistakes. The fourth quarter decisions against Purdue and Maryland probably cost you a win. But for the most part, he and his template, his blueprint, it works at this level, and it works in this division. So we can take that to the bank. We should be optimistic about that. As long as he can accrue talent, then I think we're going to be okay. And I have not been able to say that about Illinois football for a long time. And this is considering all the frustrations. I mean, hell, yesterday, you know, there was a moment where, I mean, maybe it was another third and short with Norwood in there, or actually, no, I was just referencing in a conversation with Trevor and Harry, sorry, Trevor and Isaac, that overall, I'm very optimistic, but it's those occasional blunders. And especially when it comes to offensive play calling, that still have me worried. <laughs> you know, like and as an Alanai fan, I think it's our natural, it's our default setting as a football fan to worry about the bottom falling out, even when things feel pretty good. But I will say the consistency with which they're playing overall in Big Ten games, that gives a lot of reason to be optimistic going forward. So this is just what it is. They're four and sixteen. Don't lose sleep over it. I mean, you could, if you really tried, you could lose sleep over what you could be. Six and four, could you imagine how good that would feel right now? But you aren't. So what can this team do now to maybe win at Iowa? Well, I'll say that for next week. But I will say, if I were to put odds on it, let's call it 20%. I wouldn't go much less than that when you consider what this team did at Penn State and at Minnesota. And when you consider the fact that Iowa's not playing well right now. So maybe I should go more than 20%. Maybe more than a 1 out of 5 chance. But considering that Iowa is going to be playing for a Big Ten West title, and also considering the fact that you have not had a lot of success against them recently, I'm not counting on it. Though keep in mind, Illinois did take a 14-0 lead against Iowa at home last year. So maybe do the same thing that you did against Minnesota, and I have a little more faith in this defense to not then give up, I think, 42 straight points, or whatever it was last year during Lovey's final season. Let's talk about the offense. You know, before we get too far into this, I mean, we know the defense is spectacular. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves here. 289 yards total for Minnesota. 200 through the air, 89 rushing, two turnovers, both of them picks. One from Treke Barnes, one uh, from Kirby Joseph, who's continuing to play very well at the safety position. Penalties, four for Minnesota for 35 yards. Here's one bugaboo for Illinois, seven penalties for 72 yards, including a couple defensive pass interferences and one hands to the face. That could have been a problem, but credit to this defense, they overcame that. But let's move to the offense. Oh, real quick, one more stat defensively. Minnesota, 3-for-13 on third down. 3-for-13. That is amazing defense. And you could hear the excitement grow with Barnhart and O'Donnell with each third down stop. And O'Donnell's sort of mantra during that game was, it's third and long, get off the field. And they learned something from the Rutgers game. I mean, here's a positive, right? Right. After that devastating, maybe that's too big of a word, but kind of, loss to Rutgers when you had them third and 19 or third and 9, whatever it was, third and long from deep in their territory, and you couldn't stop them, and then they have a long drive to take the lead on you. Well, yesterday against Minnesota, it was the complete opposite. You did not let them get anywhere close to that end zone until it was far too late. So they're playing remarkable. This is fun to watch that defense. 21st downs for Minnesota. But again, this is another thing, too. The defense. Talk about bend, not break in that second half when they might have been a little bit fatigued. It took Minnesota a hell of a long time on their scoring drive and their other second half drives. They had some 15, 16 play drives that bled about six or seven minutes off the clock. They didn't have time. They needed more opportunities and they're just kind of taking their time, dinking and dunking, running a lot, even though they only got 89 yards on the ground, which for them is a pretty bad performance. So man, credit to the defense. They kept everything in front of them sound tackling, and they force Minnesota to take these long stretches off of the clock. It ain't the prettiest brand of football, and it's not the sexiest. It's not Big 12, run and gun, or spread offense stuff, but it can be effective, and it was yesterday, but offensively, oh boy, oh boy. I'll start with the good. Chase Brown is incredible. I mean, the fact that he's only a sophomore um, in terms of eligibility, 33 rushes for 150 yards. That's a bell cow back, right, if we could use that term. He's a workhorse. Josh McRae, only three rushes for nine yards, so less usage from him. One for Norwood for two yards. They got Isaiah Williams in on the act a little bit, three rushes for eight yards. Credit to Brandon Peters. Six rushes for 18 yards, including one where he took a big hit to the ribs. Looked to be okay because he only missed one play, and that was when, was it Matt Robinson, or who's who's the second-string quarterback? I don't know why his name is escaping me. The kid from northern Michigan, right? He hikes the ball with like 15 seconds on the play clock. And it's like, kid, you got to run the clock, man. Anywho, some positives, the run game. Yes. The pass game. Well, when Brandon Peters did pass it. Seven for nine for 80 yards. Two pass attempts in the second half. Two. We need to talk about Tony Peterson. We do. For as fun as that was yesterday, and for as good as Tony Peterson was calling it, In that first quarter, I mean, mixing in the play-action effectively and and just really playing to the strengths of this offense, I thought, well, maybe, just maybe, they can turn a corner. And it wouldn't have taken that much more for me to consider that to be the case. Hell, a couple field goals, you know, like get down close enough. But then instead, hell, there was one situation where you finally got the ball across midfield in the third quarter, and then he decides he's going to run a trick play with Caleb Griffin throwing the ball. When all he had to do was keep running the ball and let James McCourt, try a 45 or 40 yarder. Maybe he would have made it, maybe he wouldn't have. But all you needed was three more points to put that game away. And then he decides at that moment to go with some trickery. and Minnesota wasn't biting. He also got a little bit bailed out from his quarterback. I mean, Brandon Peters throw and catch to Casey Washington. You didn't score on that possession, but you badly needed To flip that field position, you badly needed to run some more clock because, unfortunately, you weren't going to score. So this is a Tony Peterson problem, I'm afraid. And there has been regression on offense. And this is despite a very effective run game, which should open everything up for you. And this is also considering that your quarterback play has been atrocious this year. So if you were to say, well, carp, what do you expect from Tony Peterson when he had Art Sitkowski starting four games, Brandon Peters the rest, and we know that really before yesterday and also the Rutgers game, if we want to consider that, Brandon Peters was uh, god-awful. Awful, excuse me. And you've heard me say that plenty on this podcast as well. All that said, though, there's still enough to make this work, to make this more effective. And when you consider how bad Brandon Peters was or how bad Sitkowski looked in certain situations, yeah, there were some awful throws, but you do wonder, are they being put in the best position to succeed? And we only have 10 games experience with Tony Peterson, but the results are not promising. You have one of the worst offenses, and this is not hyperbole, one of the worst offenses in Division One or FBS, whatever you want to say. And you can look at a lot of different metrics for that. Total offense, scoring offense, especially for power five, definitely one of the worst power five offenses. I don't think that should be the case. And you had enough guys coming back where I think that you could have maximized this more. If you were to ask me, well, Carp, how would you call it differently? Well, there are the individual calls that I look at and scratch my head, like the Jakari Norwoods on short yardage situations and key key situations and games. That is one that really sticks out like a sore thumb. But also the play calling when Illinois was pinned deep in their own territory. Now, Jeremy and Joey had a great conversation about this on their Illini Inquirer podcast. And I agreed wholeheartedly with them. You know, it's not so much like, okay, well, you know, have Brandon Peters go out a shotgun and then just try to launch the ball 20 yards to flip field position again. No, I mean, I understand the risk involved with that. But there's got to be something more you can do than just running three times, getting stuffed every single time, and then. Finding yourself in a situation where you're punting, and each time Minnesota's pinning you more and more deep into your own territory. I mean, that felt kind of hopeless, and they weren't trying anything to get out of there. They were just saying, well, let's not turn the ball over. That's playing scared when you don't have to. We could argue about the fourth and one call, right? It was fourth and basically two feet. Now, I got to be honest. I don't mind that Brett Bielema didn't go for that, considering that you were up 14 nothing. The defense is playing great and you are at your own 30. You know, if you don't convert that, then all of a sudden you give Minnesota the mojo they need to go quick score, quick seven. So I get that. And also what were the chances that Illinois was going to convert another first down the way that offense was going? I think that decision was based a little bit on the fact of they might convert these two feet, but do I have any faith in Tony Peterson's offense to convert more first downs? I sure didn't. So Something has to happen here. Now, you aren't going to fire Tony Peterson after year one. I don't think, (laughs) you know, but you got to change something. You cannot go into next year where we've had all this progress, right? And you're trying to go sell this offense to a, a transfer quarterback, and this is what you got on tape. And I'm sorry, it's not a very attractive destination if you're a quarterback or an offensive lineman, maybe more so an offensive lineman because you get a lot of run blocking. But you got to show more than this. It's just that simple. You would have a win or two more if the offense weren't this bad. The defense played fine in the Maryland and Purdue games. I'm sorry. You tell me the defense keeps the opposing teams to basically 20 points or less. You should win most of those games in the Big Ten West. You should. And you aren't because this offense is just making it so difficult. I mean, when you consider, and I'll give the offense credit for the Penn State game, right? I know they didn't score a lot, but they kept the ball for basically 40 minutes of that game. So that was, I guess, complimentary football. It it worked beautifully in that game, and you kept your defense fresh because of it. And that was probably similar to yesterday. I don't have the time of possession in front of me. But at least in the first half, you had long drives, and that kept the defense fresh. And then you had the 20-minute halftime, and then the offense got the ball to start the second half, even though they didn't do anything with it, right? So the defense fortunately was fresh enough to close that game out. But I tell you what, you know, the dam is gonna break at some point. You keep putting pressure on it and you keep, you know, filling it up with well, not water in this case, but I I guess just time on the damn field, and eventually the defense will break. Somehow they didn't. I mean, kudos to them. Again, Ryan Walters you know, he's going to get a raise this off season. He should, if you're a big boy program, you will give him a raise for performance. And Tony Peterson can't say the same thing. And if he, for whatever reason, took another gig or was told, you know, take a hike, how many people would be disappointed in that? I don't want progress to be stalled because your offense just stinks. And that is a concern. Even after a big one, like Minnesota, you got to do better than that. Trust your quarterback. I mean, and I'm, yeah, I'm talking about Brandon Peters. You know I've criticized him time and time again. But at least right now, he's playing pretty confidently. So trust him to make a throw. He did with Casey Washington, one of his two throws in the second half. So come on. We need more than that. And if this team is going to win the next two games, they need more than that. Because what we saw at Penn State and Minnesota, there is consistency developing, right? And certainly, the close finishes in all these Big Ten games, that's something to be excited about. But sometimes it doesn't need to be that close. Sometimes you don't need to sweat it out until the end, and the way that the defense is playing, you really should have won that game by three scores yesterday if the offense had been merely serviceable after the first quarter. I could harp on that much longer, not really something I should do after a win, perhaps, but I think it's actually a good position to be in, right? What's what's the old adage that you know coachable moments after a win are a lot better than after a loss? And here I am maybe complaining on a podcast it's much better after a win than a loss. But they don't need to be that much better, just a little bit better. One more score per game better is really all we're asking of the offense. That's basically it. We'll see if they can do that against Iowa. Bye week shouldn't hurt, right? Overall, Bielema has some pretty good time when he has extra time to prepare for games. I mean, after the Wisconsin game, right? Bye week before Penn State. And here we go. Another bye week where I think that you can put yourself in a position in the fourth quarter in Iowa City to go win that game. But I, I get the feeling. And this is Nostra Carpus right here, I guess. I get the feeling that this might be a game that even if you play like you did against Minnesota or even if you play like you did against Penn State, you're going to need to go down and get a score late. And I would love – I mean, think about this narrative, right? After everything that's happened this year, if it's the offense that has the final drive to win a game at Iowa City, I think the defense will put them in a position where they might be able to do that. And if so, I hope to God the offense can capitalize – because I would hate for the narrative when the season's all said and done, whether you're four and four and eight or five and seven, to have been well. You would have won that sixth game if not for the offense. I really don't want that to be the narrative. And fortunately, they have a say in this. They do control their own destiny. And if they play like they did yesterday, I who the hell knows, man? I mean, wouldn't that be something? This would feel so much better than the Lovey Smith six and six year. I mean. As fun as that four game win streak was, and the Iowa game was competitive, but the way you lost at home to Northwestern when you could have gone seven and five, and that feels so much different than six and six, just the air went out of the sails. Where I think we all realized, well, unfortunately, knowing Lovey, that was the fluke, right? The four game win streak, that was the aberration. First year for a new coach, it's a lot different. Already has more wins in his first year than any first year I coach since Makovic. I guess Tepper would have went six and six or something like that. Um, so you know Ron Turner winless, Ron Zook two wins, Bill Cubit I guess five, but that's an interim role. And then Lubby had three. He was three and nine. So already this is better than many first year coaching experiences at Illinois. That's good. Look at this thirty minutes of Illinois football. Can't believe it. I'm trying to think if I missed anything from yesterday's game. Just awesome. You know, it was the highlight of the day—the the Dave Matthews Band concert I saw. I, Seventy-seven shows, and you're probably thinking, "Good Lord, Carp! Why? Why would you do that?" Had a lot of fun tailgating on the rooftop. Uh, had fun meeting some friends at a outdoor um, kind of plaza area, having a few drinks and, and catching up with people that I usually see in the summer wearing shorts. And here we were wearing coats and jeans. And it was just a bad show. So, hey, you know, Alani football, thanks for salvaging my Saturday. Usually, the old adage that my dad always would say about concerts is that the great thing about a concert is it's a tailgate and then your team never loses. Well, yesterday, it's the closest I've ever come to leaving a concert and feeling like my team lost. And it was only thoughts of Alani football that got me out of that mindset and back into a happy place. So who knew that Brett Bielema and this Alani team would save me from Dave Matthews' band. Crazy. That is a first. That is definitely a first. All right, Alani basketball starts in about 48 hours as I'm recording this. No Kofi, and I am bummed. I mean, any op- any less opportunity we get or fans get to see Kofi live is just a bummer. It's, it's a stupid rule, and I, I do appreciate the fact the national media figures did pick up on it. And they talked about how ridiculous it is and how stupid the NCAA is. We saw this with Oklahoma State last week. You know, they basically cooperate, and this was something that happened years ago and not a single player on this team was involved with it. And now they're going to miss a postseason after they cooperated fully. And Mike Boynton basically said, all right, well, the lesson is don't cooperate. And I'd say that's true. You know, Illinois did their due diligence in reporting Kofi having sold his player's trunk, and maybe the penalty is less than it would have been otherwise. And you don't want, the, you don't want him to find out after the fact and then take away wins or something like that. But it is a bummer, but it's also an opportunity. There are two names in particular I'm looking for in this opening three game stretch Coleman Hawkins and Austin Hutcherson. The rest of the guys I consider fairly givens, right? I mean, Trent Frazier, it sounds like he's healthy. I think he's going to be terrific in the super senior season. Andre Crabello, we know there's going to be the occasional games where he has, you know, seven or eight turnovers or whatever it may be, but. He's so spectacular that he will figure it out, and I think figure it out relatively quickly, too. So not worried about him. DeMonte, I mean, hell, Plummer, you know what he is. Uh, there's just a lot of givens on this team, but the two wild cards, for lack of a better cliche, are Coleman Hawkins and Austin Hutcherson. Now, Coleman Hawkins going for 16-9 and in the second exhibition game, and then Hutcherson, the stat line escapes me, but he was an absolute stud in that first exhibition game. These guys are going to get a lot of tick with Kofi out. And they would anyways. I mean, these guys are going to be key parts of the rotation. they got size and athleticism. they got length that you need. And you're playing some smaller teams to start. I think the biggest guy on Jackson State might be 6'7". So you're going to get a lot of Coleman Hawkins at the 5 even. Omar Payne, that's great too, but again, you kind of know what he is. He's going to be a a pretty good defensive 5, but offensively leave you wanting. Coleman Hawkins could be the kind of guy that could make a jump sort of like Mike Davis did from his freshman to sophomore year. And if he were to make a jump like that, then this team, all of a sudden, the ceiling goes that much higher. Because I didn't consider my preseason prognostications about this team. I didn't consider the fact that Coleman Hawkins could become a serious um, contributor to this team or a consistent one. And as good as he's looked in the first two games, well, maybe so. Maybe the light just switched on for him. Hutcherson, the other factor here, right? And that's if he's healthy. If he's healthy, he's going to be good. Sometimes great. So if this is what we're looking at, right, these three games give us an opportunity to really key in on these guys. And then you could throw Plummer in there too because he's a new addition. They give us an opportunity to see what the supporting cast looks like. Gets them some early tick. By the time you get Kofi back into the mix for that tournament on that Monday and Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, all of a sudden you hope things are just somewhat established with your rotation. And I don't think that Kofi coming back is going to, I mean, fair to say, right, I don't think that's going to necessarily mess with the chemistry of this team. Just a hunch, right? So overall, as I go to State Farm Center on Tuesday night and check this team out, I am really excited, of course, for the familiar faces, but really excited most of all to see if even against lesser competition, Coleman Hawkins can repeat what he did in the second exhibition game or the Hutcherson can find whatever groove he did in that first one. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, You know, this opening week with Tuesday and Friday night games, Jackson State and I forget the other one, Arkansas Pine Bluff, another scrub team. And then you get Marquette next week. That's a big one, of course. And the name is a little disconcerting. And the fact that Shaka Smart is up there, that's disconcerting, too. That was a great hire for them. He's from the Wisconsin area. He'll find, I think, success up there and he'll find it relatively quickly. But I'm going to go with Ken Palm here. (laughs) I'll go with the analytics, which suggests that Marquette is in the 80s nationally. Not that great. And that even without Kofi, you should go up there and win. And I think that will tell you a lot about this team. When Kofi's in the lineup, you are a top five team in the nation. When he's not, I still think you're a top 20 caliber team. I think there's enough there. But the one concern that I think we should have... If I'm being honest, when you look back at last year's team, as much fun as we had, especially in late January through early March with that team, the questions remained from earlier that year about whether or not they were always mentally engaged in the game that was in front of them. If this team is engaged and ready to go against Marquette, they're going to win. But I don't want flashbacks to last year of, let's say, Maryland at home or, hell, at Missouri. Where a lesser team just wants it more than you do, and then the game ends, and you're just sort of left thinking, well, what the hell was that? I I don't want that. I mean, even without Kofi, I don't want an early loss on this team's record. I want feel-good vibes for the entire year, and I think if you can overcome these opening three games, you'll get that. I think this team can escape the non-conference without any blemishes and enter the Big Ten. Well, you got two games, I think two winnable games in early December, Rutgers at home and at Iowa. And I wouldn't be surprised if they go into the new year undefeated, but it has to start with these three games. So this is kind of fun, right? It adds a little wrinkle to the opening three games where Marquette, you would have looked at that name. And even if Kofi were playing, thought, well, that's the first test, right? I'm not sure how much of a test it'll be, but it will at least be much more of a challenge without Kofi. And I think that that is one way that you can build, again, for lack of a better cliche, the character of this team early. There are enough new pieces, and there are still enough pieces from last year where you could revert to some of your worst habits from the early part of last year's team. I don't suspect that to be the case, but I still need it to be proven to me, and they can do that early on. But how cool is this, though, right? Go to State Farm Center, I assume a good crowd on Tuesday night, even without Kofi, and jackson state maybe not a sellout like it was for that second exhibition game kudos to the ticket office for that they they got the word out and turned that into a must-see event i mean to sell out an exhibition game speaks volumes about the hype for this team but the hype is deserved and i am ready for these to count i'm ready to watch you know big 10 network highlight shows and and see Illinois smoke Jackson State by 30 and find the, the three highlights of Andre Crubello with just absolutely sick assist to his teammates because this team is going to be a highlight reel. Uh, as long as they can maintain that consistency and keep that intensity, I'm not worried. I'm not. And I will forego any sort of uh-oh until I actually see a reason to go uh-oh. All right, there was one more thing to talk about today, not really to do with Illinois sports, but, uh, you know, I don't think I've seen a sports story blow up like this quite like what we saw Friday with Aaron Rodgers and the whole vaccine thing. You know, we've said on this podcast before, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to go back a little bit on the rhetoric because, you know, I don't know how helpful it is to even add to the discussion for something that a lot of people already have their minds made up on with a vaccine thing. But the one thing that I don't like is this sort of new trend Um, and this is sort of the way that a lot of podcast personalities are going. This is the way that a lot of athletes are going. You know, we get sort of enamored by these dudes that we assume are intellectuals, right? And Aaron Rodgers would qualify as one of those. He is a unique dude. And even I found myself starting to root for the likes of an Aaron Rodgers, or I should say at least not hate him because he's basically, as he said, after the Bears game or during the Bears games, he owns us. As a Bears fan, that's just the reality of it. I was starting to sort of like the fact that he was going heel and that he uh, didn't mind being the jerk. I thought that was always kind of there, and I thought, well, just go full heel, Aaron. You know, be that guy. But I found something so disingenuous about his interview on Friday, which was, by the way, if you watch that clip from the Pat McAfee show, he had prepared statements. So this was thought out. This wasn't off the cuff. He was ready to go to... Talk about all of his grievances with the NFL and, and protocol and, and then his own journey towards building antibodies. According to him, he was immunized, but not by the vaccination, which I I don't even think that's the correct definition of immunized. I think you need a shot or vaccination to be considered that for any disease. Anywho, I'm not a doctor. I won't pretend to be. Neither should he, though. <laughs> uh, he said he consulted a lot of people. Uh, the NFL actually said that not a single one of their doctors consulted with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers said an NFL doctor told him that if you get the shot, 100% you won't get COVID-19. And they said that's ridiculous. The NFL is now pissed off at Aaron Rodgers. Not a good move on his part. And will it ultimately matter for him? No. Like his career can end today, and he's set for life, and he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. That's not going to change. But he's already had a couple sponsorships go, and we'll see if the big one, State Farm, follows And you might say, well, you know, what is this carb Cancel culture? And I know that word gets thrown around a lot. I know that Aaron Rodgers decided to turn this into a thing about woke culture, which is where he lost me. Because while I admit that sometimes there is a mob mentality that goes after people for rather mundane, silly, um, innocuous things, this is not one of those. To basically perpetuate misinformation of which there's plenty of that. you can go on Facebook and see a bunch of this crap anyways I just didn't expect it from Aaron Rodgers a guy that I don't think he's stupid you know some people say no he's a moron he might not be the most well read on certain subjects but he's a sharp enough dude that has convinced himself that the moves that he took were the right moves they were the smart and most medically um, intelligent moves to make despite the fact that there were vaccines out there that were much more effective than any homeopathic remedy. And for him to go on this diatribe, and that's essentially what it was, don't let the calm way in which he delivered it fool you. That was a diatribe, and that was him just spewing a bunch of garbage out there um, about, I mean, for this, for example, you know, basically saying, um, what is it? Well, if the vaccine is so great, then how come people are still catching it and sometimes, unfortunately, even dying? Find me a vaccine that is 100% perfect. It does not exist. And that kind of talking point is just, I thought, beneath a guy like Aaron Rodgers, but apparently not. And I got to be honest, I was more disappointed than anything. This whole thing with vaccinations and athletes, it's kind of peculiar. I mean, Pat McAfee is a former punter, so he was not really equipped to ask follow-up questions. And that's what you're going to get sometimes when former athletes are getting these media positions. I mean, they, they can put on an entertaining show, but when it comes down to it, they are not trained to ask these follow-up questions or to challenge them. Plus, he's got to keep Aaron Rodgers coming on a show because that's probably a big deal in terms of sponsors and things like that. He doesn't want to burn that bridge. So I respect all that. Um, but nonetheless, it was just really disheartening for one of the faces of the NFL to say all these things and um, go relatively unchecked And there will be fallout, but the one thing that I will just scoff at if I see people go this direction is the notion that if he loses sponsorships because of this, that it is due to woke or cancel culture. When in actuality, the misinformation he's putting out there is dangerous and has real ramifications far more than a lot of the um, sillier aspects of woke culture, of which there are many. Did not necessarily expect to address this, but this story just lingered, and it's lingering right now as the Packers are taking on the Chiefs, and Jordan Love, I believe, is doing merely okay. And he's, you know, Aaron Rodgers is hurting his team. I mean, if we're going to make it kind of, I know that sounds productive, oh, he's hurting the team. He's not. He is, though. I mean, he got COVID-19, and he was probably less likely to get it if he got the shot. He said he was allergic to the mRNA. And uh, the stuff in those vaccines and that the blood co- blood clot thing with Johnson and Johnson came out in April, which it did. And they, I think, took a week to review it and then said, no, you're fine. And by the way, that affected females more than males. So he talks about all these things about it's my body and, and my choice and I want to protect my body. And yet he goes out there every Sunday and gets his brain rattled around his skull. And he wants to talk about, you know, healthy decisions. Come on. Hypocritical. Don't give me that, Aaron. Too late for him to get the shot. Um, You know, some people joke that (laughs) this is what you get when he starts dating a celebrity. Shailene Woodley, the actress, and she's kind of a new age homeopathic type as well, I'm sure. He's a big boy. He knows what he's doing. So let's not go down the path of, well, he got married and then he's going to make silly decisions. No, Aaron Rodgers is a full-grown adult man, and he should be smarter than this. It's a shame that he perpetuated all that crap, and I think most people recognized it for what it was. All right, that's it for today's episode of the 200 Level. I will be back after the game Tuesday, probably not Tuesday night, but we'll do a podcast on Wednesday to react to Illinois-Jackson State. Hopefully a fun evening at the State Farm Center. Illinois football, semi-relevant here in mid-November. Who would have thunk it? Pretty crazy. Um, fun times as an Illini fan, right? Fun times. I'm enjoying it. Got to thank DP I'm on online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So you can get a custom zone with any topping you want, or one of their favorites, like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone, all online, again, at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, I'm on at fourthandkirby.com, and vintage-inspired Alana apparel, not just for basketball, but football season, they're still relevant on and kirby.com. Rector Construction, that's R-E-C-T-O-R Construction.com. For all your home exterior needs, that's RectorConstruction.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hanson, online at BrianIsMyGuy.com. Life Auto Home Business Renters, you name it, BrianIsMyGuy.com. For Alonai Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, appreciate you all listening. Hope you had as good a weekend as I did and are enjoying this late little push of unseasonably warm temperatures. It's absolutely gorgeous today, despite the fact that it is dark at 515. Whatever. At least it's light in the morning. I'm an early riser. All right. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk in a few days. It is the 200 level.